0: You are listening to the Living Way Church Podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Alright, What I have here in my hand is a shopping list, all right? Shopping list, items, making cookies, all right? Shopping list, eggs, milk, flour, butter, times five, all right? See, lots of butter. Butter is what makes the difference in a cookie. Homemade cookies. Baking soda. Some of you guys are like, what? We don't need baking soda. Try it. Uh, Chocolate chips or peanut butter or Reese's Pieces, your favorite. Uh, Sugar, obviously. Vanilla extract and salt. How many of you say that's kind of a basic, just a basic cookie ingredient? Who's ever made homemade cookies? All right, usually it's, if we get the frozen one, just cut them, you know, or in the box and they're already pre-just... To come on the thing. Uh, you can't go wrong with those pre made ones, but on a list like this, every ingredient on the list is important. Anybody ever made cookies and skipped out on something important in the list? And how wonderfully did they taste? <laughs> if you have enough chocolate chips, you could probably cover up anything in the cookie that is missing, but the list are important to the ingredients of what makes a cookie delicious and today we are going to talk about the list and we are going to talk about the list of leadership we've been talking so far in this series on first timothy uh ecclesy which is the uh the word for church in the original manuscript in greek and it means to gather together all right so when you see church it's not a building it's not a location it's the people of Christ gathered together that is ecclesia the church and in 1 Timothy the apostle Paul writes a letter to kind of his spiritual son whose name is Timothy who's pastoring the church in a place called Ephesus and he says Timothy here is uh, some some encouragement for you on how the church should function and work And so we've been walking through as we are transitioning into our new space and getting kind of acclimated again. We're looking at God's building foundations for the church going through 1 Timothy. So far we've talked about the misuse, the main thing, the major issue, and now we're going to talk about a mark. Timothy has uh, basically um, moved to a healthy, established church. And however, when he got there, things were starting to kind of stumble in the leadership department. So the Apostle Paul wrote him a letter to encourage him in these issues. And he listed some minimum requirements for those who desire to be in leadership. All right. So what we're going to do today is if you are a leader somehow, some way in Living Way Church, a live team leader a, um, over a ministry... Not if you're like volunteering in a, in a row, but if you're over a ministry, uh, if like a life team or youth ministry or kids, could you stand up right where you are? Just kind of stand up if you are over a ministry. All right. So these are people that are over a ministry and working together to, to basically build and function in the church. All right. Now today, you guys are going to be uh, graded. All right, so hope you're excited. Uh, You are going to be graded by everybody in the room because today is the checklist, the minimum requirements for leadership. You can have a seat. But here's the challenge. All of us leaders are going to be checking all of you because this is not a checklist that is only for us. This is a list that shows us the marks of the minimum marks of maturity. So this is not, well, I want a leader that's like this. This is, how can I be more mature? And leaders are expected to be at a certain level of spiritual maturity in order to be over ministry. So that's kind of the the emphasis here. A disciple of Jesus Christ is marked by their compassion and by their obedience. Um, And how the world will know that you are a disciple is by that obedience to God's word and your love for the world A person ready for leadership is marked by a list as well. And if any one of them is missing, you have a bad cookie, all right? So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at what those are. We're going to jump right in. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 is where we left off a couple weeks ago before we moved. So like the space shuttle checklist, if one is missing, it's a no-go, all right? Just before the shuttle goes off, they're checking through the list. Check. They'll say something. Check. They'll say something, no go, stop. You know, have you ever been on an airplane and they go, we just have a little bit of paperwork we got to finish up. That means we have a problem, sit tight, we may not leave for about an hour. Because they're, they're actually going through a checklist. If one does not pass, it's a no go. Let's see what the checklist is. First Timothy chapter 3, a quick fly over the checklist and we're going to come back and pick it apart. Here is a trustworthy saying, the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy. He says, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, that's a spiritual leader. It's also translated as an elder or pastor or bishop. Anyone who desires to be or sets his heart on being a spiritual leader, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. That means it's not about being up front. It's a, it's about uh, serving others. It's Can this person effectively explain who Jesus is in their life? This doesn't mean that they have to be a preacher, right? They have to be able to teach or relay what God has given them to another person. That means able to teach. Not given to drunkenness, that means not a drunk. This gives a glimpse of the early church, however. (laughs) They were just as dysfunctional as today. Uh, even though they were in a different culture, they weren't more spiritual than us. In fact, they were actually more confused in all their culture had open prostitution and open, you know, orgies and all kinds of weird alcohol and drinking habits. It was a very perverse culture. These guys were, and these women were getting saved coming into church and they're like, all right, just settle down. Stop drinking so much, all right. So not a drunk, not violent but gentle not quarrelsome and not a lover of money. That means greedy. All right, he must manage his own family well, see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with the outsider so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Then he talks about deacons, all right? These are ministry leaders. That's some of you that stood up are pastors and some of you that stood up are ministry leaders. The deacons are ministry leaders. They're different than overseers. It says, deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. And then, if there is nothing against him, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives, or women, literally women deacons, the word there is controversial, we'll talk about that in a minute. He says, are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon, a servant leader, must be the husband of one wife... And must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you soon. And this is the purpose of why he wrote this letter. He says, I can't be there now. But he says, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, if I can't come right away, at least you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church, of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. We dissected that verse significantly in week one. Um, So Paul gives Titus a similar checklist. Look at in Titus, he writes to a guy named Titus, and he gives him a very similar checklist. And these are, this is kind of an overview. I would take a picture of that. We're not going to dissect all those today. But basically he says, this is the requirements, the minimum. Everybody say minimum. These are the minimum requirements for leadership, for deacons, and for pastors in the church. Now you're going to notice that there are some things that are significant on this list, and there are some things that are not on this list. Now, as you look at this, you see that the the marriage, your personal discipline, uh, your your uh, ministry style, or your leadership abilities, uh, your self control is big. Your family your spiritual maturity, your public reputation, these are all important. Timothy and Titus were both instructed by Paul in very similar requirements for elders and deacons. Now, what does that mean for us as a church? First of all, again, these are not so much just do I meet that requirement, but this is something that we are all to strive for because these are marks of maturity. All right, this is not like God has a different, uh, you know, requirement for me than he does for you. That's not how it is. This, is. this is me walking out my best in the gospel of Jesus Christ, growing in maturity, and God entrusts the levels of maturity to levels of leadership. So, notice this four things that are not on the list. Here's what's not on the list number one, spiritual, uh, well, actually, I'm gonna get to that in a second. Sp- uh, four things to notice about this list. The first thing is this, is that spiritual leadership is not to be taken lightly. All right. Verse 1, it says, here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. The word noble means good work. That means a hard, honest day's work. An honest, hard work. It's not like, man, I just want to be in leadership. I want the accolades. I want the attention. I want the affluence. I want the position. You know, people are like, man, I just just give me a role, man. I can speak. I can draw a crowd. No, this is not about that. This is about the fact that you are desiring something that should never be taken lightly if you want to be a leader. Some of you guys, man, y'all want to be a leader in our church one day. Well, if you aspire that, man, that's a great thing. But it must be taken very, very serious. Leaders, elders, senior, pastors, deacons, life team leaders, whatever, good hard work. Leaders will be judged actually a little bit harder than other people according to the Bible. We will be held to a higher level of accountability before God. James 3 one says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we, will, we who teach will be judged more strictly, all right? This is by people and by the Lord. God will, I will have to stand before God and not just give account for my life, but guess what, as a leader, I will have to stand before God and give account to how I led the church and how I uh, led your life. That doesn't mean I'm responsible for your life. It means I'm responsible for how well I led your life. And I will be held to that. It's not for everyone or anyone. It's a call of God. And for those who are called to ministry, it is a welcome burden. You know, it is hard work. You know, i throw back to George Bush when he was asking about president. He goes, it's hard work. It's hard work. I just, So every time I say it's hard work, I think of George Bush going, it's hard work being president. It's hard work. But, you know, it is hard work being a pastor. You know, uh, the average pastor spends about 60 to 70 hours a week doing pastoral ministry. And they think we just sit around and play golf and, and sleep in and, and the only, the, we only work one day a week. There's all kinds of things that we're doing, uh, whether it be uh, taking care, like we, we spend a lot of time putting this place together. But even once this is established, there's counseling, there's sermon preparation, there's meeting with people, there's a discipling, there's teaching. Uh, there's a meeting with families. There's meeting with teenagers. There's meeting with young adults. There's leading groups, and I tell you, it, it doesn't ever end. And it is a welcome burden. I love it. It's not. It's not something a man. Oh, why do I have to come to church on Sunday mornings? That's how some of you are, I'm sure. But I wake up and I, man, I get to come to church, man. I get to, I get to stand up here and I get to preach the gospel and I get to disciple people. Man, I get to lead a, a group on Tuesday nights and I get to be a part of life change. It is a welcome burden. The main point of this entire passage is this verse, the overseer must be above reproach. That means no glaring issues. And this second thing I want you to notice is that spiritual maturity is about progress, not perfection. Guys, listen, you will never arrive at leadership maturity. All right, there's not a checkpoint. You know, you, you can't go through this and go, All right, family, check. You know, attitude, check. You know, teaching, check. All right, I'm ready. Sign me up, boss. You know, that's not how it works. This is more about a progression than maturity. This is about are there any big blinking red lights to say, Whoa, 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 simmer down. This person's just not ready. This is not about being perfect, but there are no standout weaknesses. Having a consistent pursuit with God, the list is something that we all are to strive for. Not just leaders, this is a list about the present, not the past, where you are, where you're going, not where you were. Here's a third thing I want you to know about this list, is that there's a difference between an overseer and a deacon. Now, it's going to get a little strange for a few minutes right here because this is one of the most controversial things in the Bible. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I said that it would come up again, and this is it right here. There's a difference between an overseer and a difference. Here's the main difference. Overseer or elders give governing direction. That means delegation and vision, all right, while the deacons are the hands and feet of ministry. All right. In fact, the word deacon means servant leader, servant ministry. All right. The hands and feet. Actually, the word literally means one who has a towel over his arm, one who serves. All right. So, an elder or a pastor, a senior pastor level, because there are deacons that are pastors as well, but the elders, those that give visionary direction and delegation to the body and spiritual protection for the church. They give guidance to the church's spiritual direction. While the elders are the hands and feet. Here's a breakdown. The overseers or bishops, the word literally means watcher. All right, so when you see the word overseer in the Bible, when you see that word bishop or you see uh, sometimes the word bishop is also translated from the word shepherd. But the word there means watcher or Here's a word that's kind of controversial the word means ruler means one who is the senior governing leaders of a church all right and the Bible in Timothy and in Titus designates that the elders are primarily men all right and you're like well, I don't like the way that sounds well it's okay just keep follow along with me the Bible does give a distinction between an elder a governing leader and Pastors or ministry on staff. The deacons literally means servant leader, ministry leader, and pastors. Deacons can be men and women according to the Bible. Now what's controversial about this passage is that there's basically three different views of women in ministry. And I want to give those to you right now. Those three different views are this. Egalitarian, hierarchical and complementarian. Now, before I dive into that, I want you to know this, that women are as capable and as intelligent as men with incredible and excellent leadership skills. Some women are even better leaders than men in many areas. However, according to scripture, in the church environment, this is not a world environment, this is not a culture environment, this is not a corporate environment, in the church environment... The men are to be the spiritual spearhead. They are to be the visionary leaders of the church. This is not something that has been optional throughout scripture. Jesus liberated women. He resurrected and appeared to women before he appeared to anybody else. And all through the New Testament, women against cultural norms took incredible leadership roles and positions all through the Bible. God was a liberator of women. He was a women's right activist, right, so to speak. Jesus was. However, he picked 12 men to be his elders, his apostles for the early church. And this was not because culturally he couldn't pick women. As you see throughout the New Testament, Jesus and the early church was very open to women in ministry but to the elders level, that was a designated for women. I've got a lot of verses in your notes concerning this. And here's where the issue is. There's that word where it says, and wives likewise. Remember we read that earlier. Are you guys following me okay? That word wives likewise earlier when it talked about the deacons, that word wives is the same word for women. And some translations actually say women likewise. And some say uh, wives, likewise, and so what you have are these three different views. The egalitarian basically says that women can hold any ministry position that a man holds. Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you, right? So, and and you know what? There are women who have stepped into leadership roles in churches because there was a void and there was not men there to lead, right? And God honored that and moved in that case. Because men were not leading and women stepped into that role. Um, So, egalitarian is that regardless of the circumstance, women can do anything and everything that a man can do, which honestly, you are skilled and as talented as any man in this room, women. I want you to know that. All right, there's also the hierarchical view, which basically means that women can only teach children. And that women cannot lead in any capacity whatsoever. They cannot be a ministry leader. They can any time that a woman has to stand in front of a person and there's a, an adult man in the crowd, she is not allowed to speak. That is a view that's in the Bible that is interpretive. That remember we talked about it a couple weeks ago. We kind of looked at that place in the Ephesus church where there was kind of a miscommunication between our culture and their culture. Well, this issue, uh, there are the hierarchicals of people that take that. Uh, Even though it was an Ephesus issue, they make it their issue. And they use that word wives as a deacons and wives are different. There's wives of deacons. But I take, and our church's official position is complementarian. We translate that word wives in the original as the word women. So it says women likewise, talking about women deacons. And we know there are women deacons because as you read the book of Acts, there are actually women who are deacons mentioned by name. Timothy himself, the guy who's got this letter, you know who led him to the Christ, to Christ, his mom and grandmother, you know who discipled Timothy, his mom and his grandmother. And Paul gives a shout out credit to his uh, mom and grandmother for discipling him and loving him and leading him to Christ. So this is not a limitation; this is a liberation. All right, complementarian is this: is that a woman can serve in any ministry area in the church except for lead pastor and elder, according to 1 Timothy and Titus. Now, that means that women, you can be a pastor. But you, according to the Bible, not a senior pastor. But I've known women senior pastors who are good. Because there's a void in their church and they feel that gap and God used them in a powerful way. You know, this is kind of something, the church is to model the home, right? And in the home, in, a, in, a, in an environment that's healthy... And, and your husband and wife and you're married, the husband is to be the spiritual leader of that home. The church mirrors that. How, how many of you know that doesn't always happen at home, Right. Sometimes the husband does not step up to the plate. Sometimes the husband is not leading. And sometimes the wife is having to take the wheels and take the reins. Or sometimes it's a single mother or a single adult. And you know what? She's leading that home very effectively and very powerfully. And God is using women in those roles in spite of the men who are not stepping up in their lives. So I think sometimes in the church that happens too. In an environment that God desires, men are to spearhead the leadership direction of the church, bear the burden, the weight of the pressure of the church on their shoulders, and free and liberate the people of the church, women included, to serve in ministry and to lead ministries in church. Okay? So God created men and women equal but with different gifts, gifts and innate abilities. In fact... Uh, we saw that a couple of weeks ago, but I want to point out 1 Corinthians eleven eleven. 11, our differences tell us how much we need each other. 1 Corinthians eleven eleven 11 says, but among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men. And men are not independent of women. You know, when God created Adam, he created everything and he said, man, this is good. But he saw Adam and he says, Adam, it's not good that you are alone. So he didn't create him another man. Created him a woman to complement perfectly Adam. We need each other, women. Men, we need the women in our lives. God has empowered them and gifted them and given them dynamic and special leadership abilities, and we need to embrace them as leaders in our life. And I believe that they are a beautiful complement to the leadership of the church and complement our church in a powerful way. It's also important to remember that God values people for their service, not their position. Or authority, So that does not mean that because a man is an elder that he is better or more significant or more important or have more special, you know, favor with God than any woman in our church. It does not mean that at all. Because God values people based on their service, not their position. Women like men, I would say one of this last thing. Women like men are called to proclaim the gospel to the lost display the gifts of the Spirit, can lead Bible studies, teach a class, lead a ministry, be a deacon, lead worship, serve communion, be ministry staff, receive formal theological training, basically every opportunity in the church except what the Bible considers elder-only duties. All right. That is a complementarian view and that's the view that our church embraces. And I feel like that is a a wonderful expression of God's um, ideal sometimes it always doesn't didn't always work that way, does it? Okay? So I, I'm thankful for the women that step up. Man, thank you women for stepping up when men are not willing to step up and leading in areas where men should, should take that leadership role and lead together. Okay? All right. Wasn't that nice? Everybody feel better now? Yeah. All right. We're just reading through the Bible. I love I teaching through the Bible because it hits everything right? We can't avoid this issue, right? We preach through the Bible, we get everything. All right, so notice what's not on the list, all right? Just a couple of things that are not on the list. First thing that's not on the list, you'll notice, it's not giftedness. It doesn't say, make sure that your elder or your deacon is a gifted singer. It doesn't say that they can preach the paint off the walls, you know? It doesn't say that they're a dynamic speaker. It doesn't say that someone who, uh you know who has the voice of an angel or has incredible administrative skills it, it doesn't say that at all I mean you can have someone who's talented gifted a dynamic leader whose life is in shambles they're talented but they must be of God, they must be who God says is the list. Paul says this in First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. This says, You are not lacking any spiritual gift. He was telling the church in Corinth, He says, Man, you guys got the spiritual gifts, man, flowing out of you everywhere. In fact, the only place in the whole New Testament outside of Acts where gifts in the spirit are mentioned in miracles and signs and wonders is in a church. Uh, In Corinth, and he's writing in this letter, he says, man, you're not lacking any spiritual gift, right? Man, man, you're seeing uh, God move and work in your life. But he says this, a couple paragraphs later, he says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. Paul says, man, you guys are gifted people, but you're incredibly immature. What's not on this list is can this person pray really good? Can this person lay hands on someone and see something special happen? This is not about giftedness. And it goes on to the next one. What you'll notice not on the list is spiritual power. It doesn't say this person must know how to prophesy or cast out a devil or, or, or see a miracle come forth when they pray. Man, if someone came up here and said, man, every time I pray, someone gets healed, you know, like, man, that must be a man. I've got to put him on staff. The Apostle Paul might say, yeah, man, you're not lacking any spiritual gift, but you're just a baby, man. You can't handle deep stuff. You are totally immature. Don't put that guy on staff. Just let him pray for people. (laughs) (laughs) Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? And then... Jesus said, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Guys, spiritual power is not a mirror for spiritual maturity. God is not looking for spiritual powerhouses when it comes to leadership and when it comes to your maturity. Some of you think that, you not, that you're that you not mature because you don't know how to pray right or in, in by your what you think is a spiritual spiritual prayer because you're not seeing signs and wonders or miracles. You hear this great story that Jessica, man, God's doing neat things in their family and their life. And you're like, man, I wish God loved me like he loved her. I wish a God, he, he, she must be better than me. No. it's. I mean, she's in a place of spiritual maturity where she's leading, but our maturity is not based upon signs and wonders and spiritual power. Here's another thing that's not on the list, theological training. Nowhere in the Bible does it say it requires a seminary degree. What you know is not very impressive to God. What he wants to know is are you living out what you do know. John three seventeen, Jesus says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Not just know, but do. God is interested in your character and obedience. So good for you. Some of you guys can be in leadership and you've never been to Bible school, Bible college. You need to have a basic understanding of Jesus and the scriptures. But good news, you can be a leader, all right? Here's another thing that's not on the list, religious disciplines. These are important to help us grow. They're spiritual tools. But it doesn't say people who can pray at least two hours a day are ready for ministry. It doesn't say people who can quote verses off the top of their head are ready for ministry. It doesn't say people who know how to lead and have done and taught Bible studies and who have uh, you know, who are, you know, just re- have read the Bible four times in a row that these are the people who need to be in spiritual leadership. It doesn't say that. You know, when I was growing up, man, early morning prayer was an important part of my life. And there were times when I skipped it and I felt guilty, right? And I felt like, man, God's not going to use me today because I didn't spend an hour in prayer. I was, I was part of a church growing up as a teenager that, that had this whole message, could you not tarry?" message. And so I had to pray like an hour every day if I wanted to be like on leadership in the church one day. And, and I was like, man, and if, I, if, I, if I was 50 minutes, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm dying here, God. <laughs> I'm dying, you know. I'm pretty sure that I slept through half of that hour, Lord. God's like, you know what, I can still use you because these spiritual disciplines are not a checklist for spiritual maturity. God is not impressed with how many verses we know or how we pray or how we witness. All those help us grow spiritually and they are part of God's plan for our life, but they are not spirituality. They are valued, but not the reason God would use you. Good news for us, right? Here's another thing that's not on the list, zeal. Hyper dog Christians. If it flows out of your personality, great. But I've known people, they're like, everything they talk about is Jesus. Did you hear what Jesus did? Did you hear what Jesus said? Oh, man, Jesus, it was so thick in here. It was like a cloud. Did you see it? You know, there's just, you never seen those kind of people? I'm I'm like that sometimes. But they're like hyper spiritual. Praise the Lord, brother. Everything is like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And that's good. If that's their personality, great. But that's not a sign of a leader, all right? Zeal is not a, an, a request or a list requirement for leadership. Some people are mellow. God's good. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> How's, man, what's God doing in your life, brother? What's God doing? Man, that's the zeal. What's God doing in your life, man? I'm just, man, I'm hearing God, man. I'm, man, I'm reading the scriptures. Woo, man. What's God doing? in you know what? He's faithful. That's all you're getting out of them, right? They're just mellow folks, right? Some are mellow. Some are hyper. God is not looking for a personality type. He's looking for a heart type, all right? Amen to that. So... Let's take a look at this list, and I'm only going to hit a few major ones, all right, Uh, because it's a pretty self-explanatory list. I'm going to give you a hot spot, a blind spot, and three surprises on this list. Here's the first one, is this, the hot spot, husband of one wife. This little verse in Titus and in Timothy for elders and deacons has been taken out of context so much. It literally means... A one-woman man, all right? That's literally what it means. It means in the context of their environment, many translate it uh, to be many different things, but it means that this is someone who, if you're married, you're faithful to your wife. Some of you might have felt negative, uh, have felt the negative end of this verse. Let me give you an example. There are certain denominations that if you were ever divorced, you're pretty much off the list for any leadership role ever in that church ever again, Right? So like if you were married and there was a bad situation and, and that person left you or whatever, you guys got divorced, whatever the reason was, and you walk into a church and like, man, I'd love to serve. And they're like, hey, man, you, you're gifted, you're great. And then they, hey, have you been divorced? Yep, sorry. No. Nah. And then another guy comes up, I'm fresh out of prison, I've murdered 12 people, can I be in leadership? Yeah, come on. <laughs> Serving kids' church. <laughs> That's how redemption works. But it's kind of funny because people will give redemption to everybody but the divorced, right? And they use this verse out of context to basically mean a couple things. Well, what's the difference? Well, if it meant you can only be married once, then here's the problem. It eliminates anyone single because it says you must be married if that's what it means. And it eliminates anybody who's ever been divorced. And eliminates people who are remarried and eliminates the widow, okay? And we know that we have examples of all those types of people serving in ministry effectively in the scriptures and in life. If you're married or not married, uh, well, no, don't raise your hand. (laughs) Because if you did, and you were old school, some of these churches, some denominations, you came out of some of those denominations, then basically you're off the list. Don't sign up for anything. And And it's sad. Because that's where that's where they get it. It's from this verse right here. But if it also meant that, then it contradicts the rest of Scripture. Because guess what? Paul was single. The apostle Paul was not a married person. So if this is a requirement that you must be married, then Paul would be disqualified for marriage. He was also a widower. Um, we know that he was married at one time. We don't know what happened to his wife. And we also see widows that are in Scripture that are serving in ministry. And if this were the case, then they would be disqualified and contradict scripture. Here's another thing. Uh, if this were the case, then it focuses on marital status, not moral purity. It exalts married people over others simply because of their status. Right? And that's not healthy because you can have a married couple that is not in any way ready to, to serve in ministry. Maybe they're both just in an unhealthy place in their walk with God. And you can have a single person who's vibrant, healthy, in a good place in their walk with God. And you're like, oh, sorry, you got to be married. And you're, you know, a husband of one wife and you have to be a man. So, you know, these are misuse of scriptures to eliminate God's candidates. And here's another thing is it makes the past more important than the present. Unfortunately, some denominations have this tradition. And in fact, making divorce the unforgivable sin. And I think that is a shame, and I think it's sad, and I have a, there's a lot of people that come, in. man, the church, the kingdom of God is about broken people. You know that, right? It's about broken people. Anybody here broken, raise your hand if you're broken. You know, some of you young people, you, you haven't been broken yet. <laughs> but it's good to know that you are broken because we're all sinners in need of grace. But you know what, as you grow up, you realize, man, life is hard. Marriage didn't turn out the way I wanted. My life didn't turn out the way I wanted. That career, that job, that relationship, my family, you know what, all of a sudden things just are not working the way that I thought. And and all of a sudden you're like, man, God could never use me. God could never be a part of my life. God, listen, don't buy that. Don't buy that. You are a candidate for ministry if you are a mature follower of Jesus Christ, whether you are single or married. And even, yes, if you've been divorced, I believe there's a place for you in ministry. I guess if you were a drunk, an addict, or an abuser, or even a witch, you would be put on a speaking circuit, preaching and traveling to churches all over the country, but if you're divorced, no way. And I think that's a misuse of scripture for a lot of denominations, but that's not the case here. We see that as, as not meaning... Um, that you must be married and that you cannot be divorced. It literally means a one-woman man. In the context of their culture, polygamy was normal. So basically, he says, if you want to be a leader, don't be a polygamist. That's what it means literally. All right? So elders, elders in the room, no to polygamy. (laughs) Deacons, ministry leaders, those that want to be in ministry leadership, who you're with is who you're stuck with. All right? (laughs) All right, no polygamy, all right, First Corinthians 6, 9 says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, uh, drunks, slanderers, swindlers. None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God, Paul says. Many of us can raise our hands to some of these. But he says, and I love this, and that is what some of you were. That's what you were. But you were washed, forgiven, clean, made new. And you were sanctified. That means set apart, made holy, different. And you were justified, declared not guilty, put in a position of righteousness. And in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God, this was done. God deals more with who we are rather than who we were. The beauty of the cross. Isn't that beautiful? In the context, it means... No polygamy. So here's the second thing. That's the hot spot, now the blind spot. Something that's awesome, often, uh, often forgotten in this list, and that is not quarrelsome. All right? Say, so, hmm, what was my last Facebook post? Not quarrelsome. First Timothy 3.3 3 says not giving to drunkenness. That means stop getting drunk, period. Don't need to explain that much further. Uh, not violent. But gentle, that means you're, you're not aggressive, you're not pushy, but you're gentle. And, and you lead people with a gentle hand, with, uh, not with the back of your hand. And not quarrelsome or a lover of money, greedy. So let's look at that idea of quarrelsome. These are what I would call the Christian pit bulls. And you find them particularly on large church staffs. Where they hire people to be the bad cop, right? There's the good cop, bad cop staff members, and the bad cop is the is the tough, aggressive, mean, angry, pit bull, watchdog of the church. You ever, you ever known a watchdog of the church the pit bull man they will come after you attacking the way you dress, the way you cut your hair, the way you're talking, the movies you're watching what's that did you what did you watch a read it our movie <laughs> you know they're like all of I'm protecting the faith brother I'm maturing people in their holiness no you're aggressive and you're quarrelsome and you're ready to attack uh, realize this is known as contentiousness and even if you're contentious for the right things you're very immature, okay? You might have a standard that you're trying to hold for your life, but that is not your responsibility to push that or aggressively attack those that don't meet what God is telling you to do, all right? So when you look at an elder or a deacon, or when we're looking at ourselves being spiritually mature, are you aggressive? Are you an attack dog? Are you a pit bull? Unfortunately, a lot of these people are made into heroes, right? Because they're the, the standard bearers. The flag is in the ground, <clears throat> right? You shall not pass. Lord of the Rings, right? For those of you that don't know what that is, all right. <laughs> Nerd alert. All right. So some of you are like, man, those guys are made into heroes, man. Right? No, you're, you're aggressive. You're quarrelsome. And that is not a gentle, loving leader, okay. You never see a shepherd chase their sheep going, go, 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 go. You know, that's everything. Hey, the sheep are in the pen, bro. You know, every one of them has got bruises, but they're in there. No, man, a shepherd surrounds them, guides them, gently moves them, directs them. And with some gentle pushes, but not aggressively beats them. All right, so this is what he says, not someone that's quarrelsome. All right, often forgotten. Proverbs 17, 19 says, he who loves quarrels, he who loves a quarrel loves sin. That's a hard verse right there. So if you like to fight, guess what? You love to sin. Unfortunately, um, these are the people that sometimes lead a church. And according to Paul, they're not the kind of people you want to look for or strive to beat. Now three short surprises. First Timothy 3: 4 says he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Now basically this little surprise is a family under control. What does that mean? your household. All right, so if you have a, if you're an adult and you have like adults out of the house, they are not your responsibility. If your adult children, are not living for God right now because of whatever choices they're made, that does not disqualify you for ministry leadership. This is about in your home, are you able to lead and guide and disciple and and lead your kids in a loving and caring way that models and reflects the attitude you're to have in the church. He says, if you can do that, then then that's great. But if you cannot lead and love and care for the kids in your home... By the way, by the way, it doesn't mean they're perfect. All right? My kids are not perfect. I know. Don't tell them because They're not perfect, and these you guys are wait are so not perfect. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, your kids aren't perfect. My kids aren't perfect. <laughs> but you know what? Are you leading them, guiding them? Through the twists and turns of their walk with God, all right, that's what it means. Two reasons why we should make our family the number one priority in our life, is number one, it is God's priority. And number two, it's God's reputation. When they see a Christian family that is somewhat healthy, not perfect, but somewhat healthy, it honors God and draws people to the kingdom. Drop all other things, get your family together, get things in order, all right. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. He goes on to say in verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or may become conceited and fall under the same judgment. Basically, here's another surprise, someone that's not a new Christian, all right. So if you're like new to the kingdom of God, man, but you got these mad skills. We see it. Guys are brand, we see it in celebrities all the time, right. You ever seen like a, a, a celebrity become a Christian? All right, do you remember a few years ago when, when Charlie Sheen became a Christian? You guys remember that? <laughs> We're like, anybody remember that? Raise your hand. All right, who, if you know who Charlie Sheen is, raise your hand. Okay, just checking. All right, Charlie Sheen is like a crazy person. He is a crazy person. Person. Well, a few years ago, he made a profession of faith, became a quote-unquote Christian, and next thing you know, he's speaking at churches, he's on talk shows, he's in magazine articles, he's traveling. I'm like, anybody with any kind of wisdom would say, stop, stop. And you know what? It pulverized him. Because every little slip-up he made fell under mass condemnation and judgment by the Christian community. And by those who weren't Christians going, ah, you liar, you're not a Christian. And all of a sudden, he was a bad dude before. Afterwards, it was like multiplied by 100. And he's like, you know what, forget all of you. I'm going to do whatever I want. And, And you know what, a lot of that had to do with Christians' bad habit of taking new Christians who have like certain skills and personality types and putting them on a pedestal. And the apostle Paul says, listen, don't do that. Don't do that lest they fall. Under the same kind of pride and arrogance and conceit that the enemy, Satan himself. It takes two things to mature people. Time and trials. They both shape us. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Spiritual mature, what to look for. This one says a lot, the last thing. First Timothy 3.7, he must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the evil Uh, To the devil's trap. Here's the idea. If you're looking to be in leadership in in your church, what do your non-Christian friends say about you? Okay. If they say, what? She's a Christian? (laughs) Probably not ready, right? (laughs) And if they go, oh, yeah, they say they're a Christian, but man, can that person down some pints, you know. And you're thinking, well, do they have a good reputation do they model and reflect Christ to those that are on the outside? I thought if I was really on fire with God, then the world would hate me when I was younger. And I thought, well, they hated Jesus and they hated the early church, so they'll hate me. No, they loved Jesus. And that's why they grew. And they loved the early church. That's why they grew. Who hated Jesus? Religious people. Who hated The disciples in in the early church, the religious judgmental people. The world was drawn to their compassion and their sold-out obedience to God. It was not the world that crucified him. It was the religious leaders. In fact, he was invited to parties. Look in the window and you'd see him. Not sinning, not participating, but reaching out honoring and loving them, okay? We see this through the scriptures. It's not a sign of selling out to be loving and compassion, but it's being like Jesus. We don't bow to the idols of this world. Sometimes when we don't bow, it does get us into trouble because they don't understand our stand for Jesus. We look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, in the book of Daniel. These guys, man, they stood up for Jesus. But here's what's interesting. This is we got to remember this when daniel wouldn't bow and when those three jewish when those three hebrew boys would not bow it wasn't the government that hated them it was the religious people of the government I think my battery died up oh, no So this is important. As we think about our leaders in the future and as we think about our leaders now, that we will give them grace as they are walking their spiritual life out for themselves as well. God, I pray for maturity in our church. God, I pray that we would ask ourselves, are we growing in maturity? Am I allowing you, Holy Spirit, to convict me and work on me so that I might reflect you? there's anyone here and you're saying, you know what, this really convicted me in some areas in my life and my heart. I'm a Christian, but I want to be mature, and these are some things that, that really I need to work on. You know, I'm not going to have you raise your hand or come down or, or stand up, but I just want you to ask the Lord right now, just God work in me this area and mention it by name. Maybe it's quarrelsome. Maybe it's an issue of boldness or, or holiness or or maybe it's an issue of uh, your marriage. You know, areas that the Holy Spirit's working on you, at to, to, to work on. Just take a moment talk to Jesus about that. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit that works in our life. God, I pray that we would respond to that voice and move accordingly in that direction, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys, I'm gonna hand it over to Sean, but before I do, I want you to think about this. A disciple is a follower. Everybody say follower. 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 That's what the word literally means, to follow. To disciple means allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you, hearing it, and following it, all right? So some of you today, the Holy Spirit spoke to you, and he's challenging you to move in a particular area in your life. And you are a disciple, not based on your ability to do it perfectly, but based on your ability to move forward toward it. Okay? As you follow God's will for your life, that is a disciple. All right? So let's be disciples today and mature and do all God has designed us to.